and happy new year. Welcome back to the Meet the Translator podcast for the first episode of 2022. In this episode, I'm joined by Susie Jackson, who's going to share her pricing wisdom with us. I'm going to be asking Susie for the best ways to price your translation services, how to raise your rates and how to avoid getting overwhelmed by business finances and much more. I think this will be a really useful episode. Susie, thank you so much for joining me on the Meet the Translator podcast today. It's really great to have you here. Thanks, Dot. It's great to be here. So can you give a little introduction about yourself, what your values are, what you do and how you sort of got to where you are now? Yeah, so um, I am a translator and copy editor and I've been doing that for coming up seven years. I work primarily with academics in the social sciences. So um, I started off kind of doing all kinds of different translations. Translation was the first thing I did and then got into the copy editing later. But alongside that translation and copy editing work, I also mentor freelancers on finances and pricing and things like that. And I know that's what we're going to be talking about a lot in this episode. But yeah, I kind of, I started freelancing part-time around a full-time job. I worked as a university administrator. I'd done a degree in Spanish and Portuguese and then graduated and really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. So kind of just got into an admin job. And after a while, my partner moved abroad and I needed a bit more kind of disposable income to be able to travel and see him as often as possible so I was like well what can I do that might bring in a bit of extra money oh I have these language skills let's try translating which I know as as translators this is probably like the nightmare where you think like people like oh they never wanted to be translators but they think they can do it just because they speak other languages anyway this is how I started out um so I started off doing that part-time and then I after about kind of six or seven months of doing that, I decided that I actually wanted to take it full time and have the flexibility to not be stuck in a single location and, and all of that kind of thing. So um, took it full time and haven't really looked back. So I was doing translation and copy editing full time for about four years. And then in 2019, started doing the mentoring, initially mm-hmm. pro bono, just with one or two people. And then I just found I really, really loved it. I then developed a mentoring program that kind of brings together all of the stuff that I feel I can help people with most in terms of developing their price pricing strategy and getting on top of their finances and that kind of thing. And I also work with mentees one-to-one. So in terms of my values, like I do feel like I am very values driven in the way that I run my business. The big one for me is um, human connection. So mm-hmm. when it comes to the translation and copy editing side of things, it's really important to me that I develop a relationship with my clients and that I know who I'm talking to and dealing with. So I work pretty much exclusively with direct clients because I I feel like I just enjoy being able to build up that relationship and get to know people to have them come back to me mm-hmm. in the mentoring side of my business that comes through in working with people one-to-one and running things for small groups typically you know when I run a paid program for a group it, there's no more than about 10 people because I really like to just kind of get to know people um, and really understand what matters to the people I'm working with rather than just working with lots of people and not really understanding any of that side of things but beyond the connection I would say support and empowerment are really important to me and also mm-hmm. generally just in life kindness I always think we can always be a bit kinder to the people that we come into contact with mm-hmm. yeah I mean it doesn't cost anything does it to exactly <laughs> <laughs> be kind to our, our colleagues and our and our clients and anyone we can help as well and ourselves and ourselves um, that's very true <laughs> I, th- I think that this is where like 
pricing is is a big thing where we can be kinder to ourselves by really taking into consideration what we need financially so mm-hmm. yeah obviously we're going to be talking quite a bit about pricing today um mm-hmm. and from my experience it's something that people generally don't necessarily talk about a lot or don't want to talk about a lot specifically like exactly what we're charging or how much we're earning it's almost a bit taboo I find um so it's I think it's really great that you like offer this help and kind of support for freelancers when because it's very easy to get quite lost um (laughs) with, with um finances so I thought maybe let's start kind of from the beginning I'd say um with a little scenario so say that I'm a brand new freelancer and I've just decided or I've just uh in the process of setting up my freelance translation business and you know I'm ready to start taking on some clients and start working on some exciting projects what is the first thing that you would um recommend doing and how do I go about pricing my services I think it really depends on your situation when you're starting your business. So I think for many of us, we start offering this while we have another kind of job, Mm -hmm. in which case we're not totally financially dependent on our business to bring in all of our income. Some people are. And that's why I say it depends on your situation. So if you have no other source of income, you're starting your business and literally like, this is it, you need this to make you your money and and you have no other options, then I would say it's really important to do some groundwork to understand the numbers for yourself. So how much do you need to be earning from your business in order for this to be financially viable, right? Like how much do you need to be earning from it in order for you not to just walk away and get a job because that's the alternative, Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's absolutely no point in doing it if you cannot make it work financially in this situation. So if that's if that is your situation, then make sure you're really clear on how much you need to be earning and, you know, what's realistic in terms of how much time you have to be earning that money. You know, like there's no point in setting that income figure and then assuming that you can work 100 hours a week because, really especially when you're starting out you're not going to have that many clients initially anyway mm-hmm. and working that many hours on a on an ongoing basis like yeah it's just not going to happen right so um you have to be really realistic with it and understand what you therefore need to be charging in order to make this work for many of us as i said we do have some other source of income when we're starting out like that was the, the case for me i had my full time job and then i was just doing translation on the side so mm-hmm. if that's your situation you can kind of be a bit more relaxed about the financial side of things and take your time in getting understand what sort of clients you can help, um, what sort of jobs you like doing, that kind of thing. And the financial aspect is kind of secondary. So in that situation, I would say maybe start off by just looking at industry average averages for your language pair and seeing what other people you know who are freelancing are charging if they're willing to tell you. I mean, this isn't something that I recommend when you're a bit more established, because I do think that it's important to really get to know the numbers. But if you're just starting out, you're getting a feel for it, and you've got some other source of income, then I would say that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good good point, actually, because I kind of thought like, oh, you should always, you shouldn't like look at what other people are earning. But I guess like when you're literally starting out, you don't have anything to base your calculations off you don't know how long things are taking you or you know what exactly yeah I think once you've got some more experience and you've maybe started tracking your time while you're working on your translation projects and you you get a feel for what you can do in an hour and that kind of thing then you've got Mm -hmm. some more data to actually base the calculations on but when you're literally just starting out I would say that's probably the best approach I know when I started 
I didn't have any knowledge of the translation industry particularly. So I didn't know that pros.com existed and published average rates for the industry or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I literally just started charging minimum wage because I'd previously, when I was a student, had a job as a waitress. And I was like, well, maybe that's what I'll charge for translation, which was just ridiculously low, right? It was like six pounds an hour or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that looking at industry averages is always going to be a better way to start than doing what I did. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't recommend basing your rates on industry averages once you're a bit more established. But yeah, as a starting mm-hmm. point, if you literally don't even know where to begin I would say yeah that's a good good way to go Mm -hmm. so then that kind of leads on to the next thing which is like how do you then approach clients with those rates so say you've decided okay I want to start charging this much how do you then approach clients and kind of negotiate those rates with the clients Mm -hmm. I always recommend that when you go in with a quote go in slightly higher than the minimum you'd be willing to accept just so that if the client does try to negotiate you've got somewhere to go there will be clients who have a very fixed idea of what they're willing to pay um but there will be others who literally have no idea and are just waiting for you to give them like a ballpark figure so you know also there will be it's more common in some cultures for negotiation to be standard Uh, Mm -hmm. I would say in the UK, that's not necessarily the case. It's a question of knowing like the culture of the client that you're that you're going into into negotiations with. And if it's from a culture where you know that they they typically negotiate, start off a bit higher. But yeah, go in slightly higher than the minimum you're willing to accept and make sure you're clear on what that minimum is. So if Mm -hmm. you have done the calculations and you know exactly what you need to be charging because you have this income goal in mind, et cetera, then it makes it a lot easier to have that minimum in mind and be super clear on it and stand your ground. If you're going with the approach of looking at industry averages and that kind of, uh, or, you know, what other people you know are charging and that kind of thing, it can make it a bit difficult to know how low you're willing to go. So just, I would say, give that some thought before you go into the negotiation process, just so you know at what point you're going to walk away. Because what you don't want is for you to go in at one one figure and then the client push you way way down like ridiculously down and you just say okay then and take the work anyway because that kind of client is not going to be one that will grow with your business Mm -hmm. so you need to be clear on what your minimum is but when you're approaching the point where you're going to give this rate so you the client said you know how much do you charge for this I would say just be really clear and confident with what you're saying don't say something like you know I'd be willing to negotiate or I'm I'm open to offers or whatever, because that just invites that from the client. So um, some clients will, of course, want to negotiate and they'll they'll definitely do it. But there will be others who will just take what you say and go, "Okay, then that's fine. So Mm -hmm. don't invite that from the client. If they're going to do it, they will do it anyway. So, yeah, just be really super clear and confident. I think that can be quite hard sometimes because especially when you're first starting out and you don't have a lot of clients, you might be quite desperate to get that client Mm -hmm. and be willing to you know, work for whatever rate, because it not only, not just to get the money, but also to build up your experience. Because when you start out, like it's, you know, I guess it's helpful to have the experience as well. And the other thing is like, I was always, I was always afraid that I would, uh, you know, give a rate and say, this is my rate. And then they'd just be like, no. And then that would be like the end of the communication. (laughs) So I was like, oh, like I propose this rate mm-hmm. because I kind of, I almost wanted them to negotiate. I wanted them to think they could negotiate rather than just turning me down straight away, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I do always, um, I, I get this, this question a lot actually of like, what happens if the client just doesn't reply, which does happen. Um, so one thing that I usually advise is giving a couple of options 
when you're giving your quote. This this is maybe a bit more difficult if you're quoting to an agency where they just say, what's your rate? Um, but mm-hmm. if it's a, cl- a client where they're asking you to quote for a particular project, for example. So I would give the full rate that, um, that I want to quote for the project to meet the client's brief. So based on all the information they've already given me, how much I would charge full price. But then I also like to think about what might the client be willing to negotiate on in terms of you know, if I'm going to lower the price, what might be less important to them? So it might be a longer turnaround time is one I do quite a lot because I find that my clients often don't need super urgent turnaround. So they're willing to wait a bit longer if it saves them some money. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a type of project where they've asked for really complex formatting from you, maybe you could offer to deliver the the text in a plain text format without all the formatting for a lower price. So thinking about kind of what would make the job less time consuming or more enjoyable for you that the client might be willing to negotiate on. Because at the end of the day, negotiation should be, you know, it's a compromise. Both sides give up something in order to reach a solution that is kind of mutually beneficial. So if you're going to give the client a a lower price for something, what are you going to get them to give up in exchange? And I find that by approaching your quote with a couple of options in this way, you're actually showing the client that there may be a way of working with you that fits their budget if they're willing to kind of discuss it. So mm-hmm. I tend to find that when I go in with this option of, you know, two different prices or three different prices with variables, that that kind of gets the client to come back to me and talk about it rather than just going, oh, she's way too expensive. There's no way I could ever work with her and then just never replying. So I find that's quite mm-hmm. an effective strategy. Mm-hmm. I like that idea, actually. And it's something similarly you can do with with subtitling like if you ask them to you know provide you a, a script with the a transcript of the source audio mm, or like yes. the, um a template as well so you don't have to do all the timing I've definitely done that before yeah yeah um, yeah really good suggestions but yeah I do find something that really bugs me actually which mostly comes from agency clients is when you get an email and they're like, hi, we're looking for this, you know, kind of translator. We've got this project coming up. We pay our translators this much. And you're just sort of like, hang on, am I not the one that's supposed to be deciding how much you pay me? Like, what's going on? How do you sort of deal with these situations? Yeah, I, I don't like working with that type of client typically because... I like to build a relationship with my clients. I like them to really feel like they're getting value from the service that I provide. And in my experience, the the clients that approach it in that way are typically the ones who want the earth and want to pay peanuts for it. So they aren't a good fit for me because I know that my rates are higher than average. So it's typically, you know, their budget is not going to align with what I am going to want to charge. So in that case, I typically walk away. If they tell you you what they want to pay you and it's actually high enough for what you would normally charge then okay it's not necessarily a problem you might decide that you'll take it you'll work with them and that's okay but you've kind of got to go into it with an open mind thinking they might not turn out to be a client that you want to have a long-term relationship with but for now you'll give it a go and see how it works so I think it really comes down to how much they are actually offering and if it's a ridiculously low offer I would say that's usually a bit of a red flag Mm-hmm. you know if they're insisting on paying that and it's ridiculously low then it's probably not going to be a particularly fulfilling client relationship and I feel like from my experience that's kind of the situation that it usually is I've had exactly. I've had one client that contacted me for subtitling and said we want we want to pay you this much for the job and it was actually almost double what I would normally charge for that job so I was like wow. yes <laughs> yes please <laughs> I'll take that but like that was definitely a one-off situation other than that it's always been like 
we want to pay you not point not not yeah, not yeah. three <laughs> pence per word and you're like no. <laughs> yeah that's been my experience too <laughs> so it's not ideal let's kind of go back say to the situation where you've you've started out freelance translating you've, you've come up with your rate to start with you've started you know charging that rate to your clients at what point would you recommend reassessing what you're pricing your services at yeah I would say probably after around six months or so um when you've now kind of built up some experience hopefully you've been tracking your time for the projects you've done so you've got a good sense of how long things typically take you and recording how much you're earning for each project and that kind of thing so I'd say from the beginning before you even think about reassessing your price it's really important just to keep really clear records of the work that you're doing and then (laughs) around the six month mark do some calculations to understand what you need to be earning from your business and how much time you're able to spend working, how long things typically take you, and therefore how much you need to be charging for the types of services you've been offering so far. Because this, these things can change. You know, you can start offering new services or adapt and try out a new specialism or whatever. But it's good just to have some data to base your calculations on at the point where you do this kind of assessment and set a pricing strategy. So these are the kinds of things that I recommend doing right from the beginning if you're totally financially dependent on your business. But it's a lot easier to do once you've got a bit of data, which is why I say around the six month mark. And then after that, I would say at least once a year or whenever your circumstances change. So if you move somewhere new, maybe your your you know um, cost of living changes or you you know you're going to want to have higher business expenses, let's say you want to invest in a capital, or you want to have some mentoring, or sign up for a course, or whatever that might be. You know, if if your circumstances change, and you know you're either going to have higher financial requirements from your business, or you're going to maybe have less time available to you to get to be working. So let's say you have children and suddenly your working hours are slashed because you have childcare to have to think about. <laughs> Whenever your circumstances change in either of those ways, financially or time-wise, is a really good point to reassess your rates. But even if you don't have any changes, I would say at least once a year. Mm-hmm. So say that you, um, you've you reassessed your rates and you're thinking, okay, I really want to be charging more. How do you go about increasing your rates and approaching your clients and saying, right, I, my rate is going up, um, especially if you're afraid of losing clients. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is always hard. And I would say it's always going to be easier to charge higher rates to new clients than it is to raise your rates to your existing clients. But having said that, it's not impossible. I've done it many times. So I would say the best way to start is to pick one client who you're going to do it with first. So mm-hmm. I don't typically recommend just like deciding to raise your rates and informing all your clients at the same time, because that's a high risk strategy. So I always say pick one client to start with. And it should ideally be someone who's paying you less than you need to charge and who you don't have a particularly great relationship with. So if they said no and you lost them as a client, it wouldn't be the end of the world. You know, it would maybe free up a bit of time for you to be looking for better clients. But if they did say yes, then that would be great. And it would serve as a confidence boost for you to move on to the next one. So that's why I say pick one to begin with. And under most circumstances, I recommend just being really firm when you're approaching them about the rate increase. So just tell the client that your rate is going up from a particular date. So I always like to give notice, maybe a month's notice or so, um, and just tell them that it's going up and don't feel the need to kind of justify the increase. Remember that 
the service provider sets the price for the service, not the client. This is the same in every single industry. And I think as translators, we lose sight of that because there are so many agencies out there who tell us what they want to pay pay us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really not how business works. The service provider sets the price. So keep that in mind and be firm. And, and remember as well that I don't know whether you've experienced this, but particularly over the last couple of years with the pandemic, the cost of so many things that we're paying for have gone up, you know, inflation. And it's just like, if we don't increase our prices, then we are losing out because Mm -hmm. our costs are going up. So kind of take that energy and go into it just with, well, this is something I have to do. I run my business. I need it to be financially viable. My price is going up and tell them. But If you have any clients where you've got more of a kind of personal relationship with them and you feel like this is going to be a really awkward conversation, then you could try a slightly different strategy, which is to be a bit less firm, go in kind of a bit more softly and just say, you know, it's been however long since we agreed my rate, as I'm sure you can imagine. My prices have gone up quite a bit since then. I'm now charging new clients this much and and tell them like a way higher price that you now charge to new clients. Um, my other current existing clients are now paying me this much, which is a figure kind of in between the first figure you gave for what new clients are paying you and what they're paying you. So somewhere in the middle, something that you would be happy to accept from them moving forwards. Mm-hmm. And then just say, you know, is there any way we could talk about increasing my rate to be in line with what my other clients are paying me? And the reason I say that, that only use this if you've got more of a personal relationship with the client is because this only works if the client is going to feel bad for paying you way less than all your other clients, mm-hmm. right? So I've used this in the past with clients who I was actually friends with before they became clients. And what's always happened is they've gone, oh, okay, I'll pay you the same as all your other existing clients then, which is the figure in the middle, because they don't want to feel like you're doing them a favor or they're the bad guy for paying you way less than everyone else because they actually care because they're someone I've got a personal relationship with. So mm-hmm. this won't work if it's kind of a faceless agency who really don't know you from any other freelancer. But if it is someone who you've got that more personal relationship with, um, this can help to kind of soften the conversation a little bit and get the result that you want. If you want to raise your rate with a client who you normally just quote for on a project by project basis, so you don't necessarily have like an agreed per word rate or agreed hourly rate or whatever, then I would just say just quote a higher price next time. Don't mention Mm -hmm. the price increase because they might not notice. Just go for it and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's how I would approach it. Mm -hmm. I like that you've got the two different kind of methods for the two different types of clients because I've definitely had, you know, clients that I've had a better relationship with and then I've gone to like increase my rates and I've almost been surprised at how willing they are. They're like, yes, of course, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they they've been so willing to accept my like new rate that I've proposed to them and it's yeah. like and it almost makes you be like oh maybe I should have like upcharged higher, higher. Or, like yeah yeah that's it? always difficult knowing how to pitch it but the other thing to be aware of as well is that with those types of clients who are just very happy to accept the higher rate because they want to keep that relationship with you and they really value the work you do you have to be aware as well that they might say yes, but then the volume of the work they send you might decrease because if their budget mm-hmm. is limited, it might be that they actually can't afford to hire you as much as they were before, which isn't necessarily an issue because at the end of the day, you're getting paid a higher rate. So you should need to take less work in order to earn the same. So mm-hmm. um, not necessarily a problem, but it is just something to be conscious of. 
when you go mm-hmm. into those conversations. Again, that's another argument for just doing one client at a time mm-hmm. in case I you guess do that, see a drop off. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I guess like the only time when it would matter if it meant then a decrease in work is if you actually need to be earning more because you're in like the new yeah. situation and you want to be taking the same amount of work. But earning more from it I guess yeah absolutely but as I said it's much easier to get new clients to pay higher rates than it is existing ones so in that kind of situation I would say as well as raising your rates with your existing clients you should be looking for you know upping your marketing game and really going all out to try and find new clients who are going to be more able to pay you higher rates as well I guess in this whole kind of thing like I often think about running a business like when I go to the hairdressers like I know it's a bit <laughs> a bit random but you know like you go to the hairdressers and you just say like how much does this service cost or like mm-hmm. how much does this cost I'd never go into hairdressers and say I want to pay 10 pounds for my haircut they'd, exactly. they'd literally be like go no. away <laughs> but yeah. like it's weird that it's that there are clients and especially agencies that come to us and they're like right we want to pay you this and like it's just not seen as like the same thing like it's almost like they don't see us as running a business I was going to say exactly that that I don't think they see us as running businesses and I think that a lot of us don't see ourselves as running businesses we think of ourselves as translators who are for hire basically and it's just like if we've previously come from a job where we were told what the salary was and we just accepted it we're used to that kind of environment so yeah, it, it can be really difficult to get into this mindset of, well, I have control over what I charge. And if I'm not happy with what the client wants to pay me, I can walk away. You know, you have mm-hmm. to take that kind of stance. And it is difficult if you're struggling financially and you're not earning what you want to be earning to have that kind of level of conviction to just walk away. But I, I do always recommend that if the client comes to you and says, you know, I can only pay you this much and it's not what you need to be charging for the project, then don't take it. Use the time to look for better clients because they are out there. There are clients Mm -hmm. out there with every budget level and it's just a question of finding them. So yeah, and I love the hairdresser example. I always use the example of a plumber, you know, same Mm -hmm. thing. If we, if our sink broke and we needed a plumber, we wouldn't go and say to them, well, I could pay you £30. Like, would you fix it for £30? And they, they'd probably be like, no, especially given it's urgent and you need this, like, I'll charge you £300 because of the rush fee and everything. And we'd be like, yeah. oh, okay. And and to be fair, if we couldn't pay what they wanted to charge us, we would just look for someone else. You know, there mm-hmm. is always that situation of there are going to be clients out there with a limited budget. And if you need to be charging more than their budget, then they're not the right clients for you. You need to be looking for different types of clients. So it's Mm -hmm. just a question of seeing things a bit more objectively and thinking about yourself as running a business and taking that kind of empowered stance. Yeah. And I'm thinking as well, like going to the hairdresser, if I couldn't afford to pay for that hairdresser, I'd go to a different hairdresser. Yeah. I don't think the hairdresser would be offended at all or they wouldn't be, you know, begging me to come back or (laughs) whatever. (laughs) They'd just be like, okay, sure, whatever. Well, this is it. Like they know that there are other people out there who are going to be able to pay. So they don't worry about it yeah so sort of going going back a little bit you're kind of looking at your rates and you're kind of like oh I want I want to increase my rates but kind of you started trying to increase rates with clients or with new clients and like they're just not accepting them and you're having to kind of agree on rates that are a bit lower than you want what what do you what what would you recommend doing if you feel like your rates are too low but you just can't seem to like charge anymore I would say kind of what we were already talking about a minute ago you know there are going to be clients who can't afford to pay more and that's fine 
it's a question of being willing to walk away at the point where you enter negotiations. If the client can't afford a rate increase, you have to be willing to walk away. Otherwise, if you continue working for them at the same rate, they are never going to see any reason to increase how much they're paying you in future. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're willing to walk away. And that's why I say do it one client at a time, just in case that kind of happens. Like I also said, you know, make sure that you're spending sufficient time on marketing your services to potential new clients rather than just relying on the ones that you already have. Because if you get stuck in that situation where, you know, you've got a limited number of existing clients, you're not doing any marketing and suddenly your existing clients can't pay you more, well, what are you going to do? You know, you need to make sure that you're not putting yourself in that vulnerable situation. Similarly, make sure that you're not too reliant on any one client. So I tend to say, you know, make sure that no single client is providing more than about 25% of your income, because if you have a single client that's, you know, sending you 50% of your work and suddenly you need to raise your rates with them and they can't pay you anymore, well, that's going to be a big financial hit for you so um mm-hmm. it pu- it puts you in a really vulnerable position if you do that so make sure that you don't have any single client who's who's paying you more than about 25 percent. but yeah if you're in a situation where you need to raise your rates you've tried to raise your rates with your existing clients and you just are getting no's all over the shop then i would say it's it's time to do an assessment of your clients to understand whether there are any existing clients that do actually pay you more or pay you what you need to be earning and in this case, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the rate that you charge them, but I'm talking about the rate that you're earning per hour on the work you do for them. So look at the, you know, your time tracking data and the amount that you're earning per project and what does that come out at as an hourly rate? So do this exercise for every single one of your clients and see whether there are any that actually you're earning a decent hourly rate from, even if the rate you've got agreed with them is not very high. It might be that you can complete that work particularly quickly and so it works out fine for you. So looking at the clients where that's the case, you know, where the the hourly rate you're earning on average is actually decent and thinking about for those clients, what do they have in common? Um, You know, are they agencies or direct clients? Do they work in a particular industry, a particular area of specialism? Do they always send you a particular type of text to work on? Or are they large companies versus small companies? So looking at the kind of characteristics that those clients have in common. And then using that to drive your marketing moving forward. So try to to kind of understand who your ideal client might be. You know, what are the types Mm -hmm. of clients that are more likely to be able to pay you the rates that you need to be charging and where might you be able to find them? So do a really in-depth kind of analysis of your clients and try and use that data to to understand who you need to be marketing to moving forward. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's also probably quite a good thing to do just sort of in general for anyone like to look back at, you know, who your clients are and stuff, because I don't know about anyone else, but personally, like I always forget to dedicate time to like looking back and Mm. analyzing, you know, what I've been doing, who, how much I've been earning from who and how much time I've been spending on like which projects or which clients. And because I'm so focused on like, you know, what's coming next? What am I doing next? How am I, you know, yeah. marketing myself? But actually, like, it's so important to look back sometimes, isn't it, I guess? <laughs> Definitely. I I know it can be difficult to find the time and the motivation to do it when you're busy with other things. But I always do this as, as part of my kind of pricing strategy reassessment every year. So I always mm-hmm. do this at least once a year. And I look back at everyone I've worked with and what I've been earning from them. And, and beyond just the the financial side of things as well. I I look at how much I've enjoyed 
working with those clients as well because it might be that you've got clients who pay you a really high amount but you really hate working for them because you hate the types of projects you have to do for them and that kind of thing so I I like to build that in as well not just the financial side of things it's like which are my best clients kind of taking all of those different things into consideration and where can I find more clients like them one of the things that I've learned from one of your, I think it was a live, a live webinar you did that I joined at one point. And one of the things I learned was to start tracking my time so I could see, you know, how much time mm-hmm. I was spending on each project. And I've been doing it. I've, I've got the um, toggle app on my phone and I've been tracking my time on projects since since that webinar but I but I still haven't had a moment to actually look at all the data and be like what does this even mean I'm like it's fine I'll just keep tracking my time (laughs) at one point this will be really useful (laughs) but um, it's almost pointless if I'm not actually like looking at the data (laughs) yeah that's a good point I mean the data is really important to have but if you don't do anything with it it doesn't provide you with any insights so I would say on an ongoing basis the thing I like to do is I have a spreadsheet where I record all of my projects that I've worked on so things like who the client was what area of specialism it was how many words uh, like source words Mm -hmm. um, how much did I charge them and then that's where I put in at the end of the project my time tracking data for that project so I'll say oh I spent five and a half hours on this Um, and then I get it to calculate automatically with a formula but you can do it manually if you don't know how to do that is just what you earn per hour for that project so I like to do this at the end of the project rather than building up all the time tracking data and then feeling overwhelmed because I have to do something with all of these numbers and I don't know what they relate to anymore it's kind of just as I go project by project putting those time tracking numbers into the spreadsheet so that they tie up with the actual project data that I've got that I'm recording elsewhere but you know having all of that data is great if you want to do something like this client assessment if you've got it labeled by client for example then you can just look back at all of the time tracking data you have for that client how much time have you spent on projects for them how much have they paid you in total over that same period of time and what hourly rate did you earn so it's just a question of setting aside a little bit of time to reflect and look look at those numbers so mm-hmm. doing like an annual review or something can be a really good uh, exercise just to look at all of that data that you've got and get the insights from it and then say okay that's that year's data sorted now what am I going to do from here on you know, in terms of actually looking at this on a more regular basis. Yeah, I think I, I definitely need to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're offering higher rates or if you're contacting new clients and you're offering your rates, how do you, and maybe if there's a bit of negotiation going on as well, how do you convince them that that your service is worth the um, rate that you're offering? Mm-hmm. I think firstly, the most important thing is that you have to believe it yourself. You have to believe that what you're wanting to charge is is the right price for the service that you're offering. Um, and I know that's easier said than done because a lot of us have major imposter syndrome and feel like, why would anyone pay anything for what I'm doing? But remember that you are not your ideal client. So just because you might not pay £50 an hour for translation doesn't mean that your ideal client won't, right? Mm-hmm you are probably not in a position of needing to hire people for translation. Um, So why would it matter what you would be willing to pay for it? So bear that in mind. Don't let your own doubts in your mind sway you in terms of when you're going into those negotiations, how you present what you want to charge. Believe that that price is the right price because you got there through doing calculations and you figured it out. You know that's what you need to charge. 
So that's the price. You're the service provider. You're setting the price. Believe it and go in with conviction. Um, I would say that in order to build up that confidence, it can be great to get testimonials from your existing happy clients because they prove to you that there are people out there who believe your service is worth what you're charging for it. And they also serve as social proof that you can use in your marketing and to convince potential clients that the service you're providing is worth what you're charging for it. I would say also it's important to have a little bit of clarity on what makes your service valuable to your clients beyond just the price that they're willing to pay for it. Because bear in mind, there will always be someone out there who is willing to do the same thing for less. So if you just, if you try to compete solely on price, that's it's never going to work for you long term. There will always be someone who will undercut you. So mm-hmm. try to spend some time thinking about what is it that makes your service valuable to your clients beyond the price that they're paying. Um, and again, this is where testimonials can be really useful, because if you allow your clients to write free form testimonials rather than like kind of prompting them and giving them certain things that you want them to, to mention, if you allow them to do it in their own words, free form, it tells you exactly what they find valuable about what you do. It might be that they really value the fact that you're available at short notice or that they really value how much effort you put into researching their their subject or whatever. Like, Look at the words they use when they write your testimonials to see what is important to them and what is maybe different from what you see in other translators' testimonials. And then that is what makes you different and what makes your service valuable. So it's just spend a bit of time trying to look at those things before you go into these conversations so that you can go in with that confidence and conviction. But I would say as well, understand that some potential clients just won't have the budget to hire you at the rate that you want to charge. And that is totally fine. It just means that they're not a good fit for you. They're not the right clients for you. But there are clients out there who will be able to pay what you need to charge. So don't just accept lower rates because you think there's nothing better out there or because you think you're not worth more. You know, if you know what you need to be charging because you've done the calculations, stand strong and and really try to find the clients who will who will pay those rates because they are out there. Mm-hmm. I think like that's one thing it can be hard to you know have that confidence especially if you are talking to a lot of different clients and you're offering these rates and everyone is just being like well, no, mm-hmm. like it can be hard to remember that there are clients that will pay what you what you are offering and that you don't need to just be like, OK, I guess I'll just accept something lower then because yeah. nobody seems to like. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think if you're in this situation where everyone just seems to be saying no, then you need to look at making a change in terms of who you're trying to quote to, because mm-hmm. clearly that demographic of client is not able to pay what you want to charge so it might be that if you're just approaching agencies and everyone's saying no well then maybe you need to look at making a switch to working with direct clients because typically their budgets are higher or maybe you know you're you're approaching a lot of clients in a particular industry and they're really not seeming to be able to pay you in which case maybe that industry is not the right one for you to be targeting or maybe you're approaching clients in the country where you live but their budgets just aren't high enough and you need to be looking at a different country for where your clients are based because they have generally higher budgets. So if you're finding you're in this situation where people are just saying no all the time, what kind of change can you make in terms of who you're quoting to? You know, you need to be really honest with yourself and look at whether you're making enough of an effort to 
find those clients who can potentially pay more. Mm-hmm. In what situations would you say that it is it is okay to accept a lower rate for your project? Obviously, I know you've just said like be confident with the rates mm-hmm. you want to offer and you know stand firm with it. But I think like maybe there are some situations where it's okay to be like, okay, I'll I'll take a bit of a lower rate for this. Um, yeah. When, when would you sort of say that that was? Yeah, there are. I think if you are looking to gain experience in a new area of specialism, for example, and you know you need to build up a kind of portfolio or some experience that you can then use in your marketing to gain better paying clients, then yeah, it can be okay to accept a lower price for those kinds of projects. Or if there's a project you're really interested in, because maybe it's for a cause you really care about, and you know that they don't have enough of a budget to pay you the full price because they've told you, then it might be that you're willing to kind of accept a lower price as a one-off or just for that particular client. Having said that, don't ever make assumptions and offer discounts without being asked because often clients can afford more than we might think. And that definitely applies to NGOs. I think a lot of us have this perception that, oh, NGOs don't have a budget, but often they really do have a budget and it's just needs to be allocated to a specific thing, but they do have a budget. So don't assume that a client can't pay you full price unless they've told you that. But yeah, if if you are in that kind of situation where you think I really want this project and I know they don't have enough of a budget to pay me full price, then it might be that, yeah, you are willing to accept a lower price for that. I would just say that make sure you go into that kind of decision really consciously. Don't just accept the lower price without considering it because Bear in mind that if you accept a lower rate than normal for one project or with one client, you're going to, that's going to mean that you earn less than you'd expected for that month or that year, unless you can make it up by charging other clients a higher rate to compensate for it or working longer hours to make up the money. So before you say yes to a lower price for a particular project, weigh up whether you're willing or able to do that before you accept, whether you're willing or able to find other higher paying clients or work longer hours, because it might be that your time is really restricted and you know that you can't work longer hours because of childcare requirements or whatever it might be, in which case this is actually going to cause you a problem unless you can find other clients who can pay you more, but you might feel that that's not realistic. So you might feel that you actually have to walk away in this situation. So just make sure that if you are considering accepting a lower rate, that's okay, as long as you have considered all of the implications of it and you're going into it really, really consciously and intentionally. And I think it can be hard to remember sometimes that like you need to look at what you actually need to be earning and like making sure that that's important. Because I think especially for things like volunteer translation and stuff like that, if it's something like that you really, really care about and you really Mm -hmm. want to do something because it's going to help a certain cause that you really care about and you're willing to do it for free because you're like, oh, it doesn't cost me anything to do it. But I guess you do also actually have to think like, well, this could cost me something to do it because I am then not able to spend that amount of time to like work on this other project and I still need enough money to live. Yeah, exactly. I think it's very laudable that so many translators want to do voluntary work. And I think it's, it's really great. Like clearly there is a need for that. But I would say if you are one of those people, make sure that you put boundaries on it. So don't allow it to take up all of your time, you know, maybe say that you're willing to do 10 hours a month of volunteer translation that's not paid. And that, you know, beyond that, you will say no, unless you literally have no other work on, because (laughs) you don't want to be in a situation where there's this requirement on you because you've previously made yourself available, that you will just be available to take on all of this unpaid work, when actually you've got other paid work potentially there in the wings that you're turning down to do this voluntary translation. So 
that's one thing. And I would also say, if you know you want to be in a situation where you could dedicate 10 hours a month to unpaid translation work, then when you're doing your calculations for your pricing strategy, bear that in mind. Don't include those 10 hours in the amount of time you have available to you to be earning what you need to earn. You need to reduce your overall time allowance by those 10 hours a month. And then that will mean that your hourly rate that you calculate you need to be charging comes out proportionally higher because the amount of time you have to earn it is less. So if you know you're in that situation of wanting to be able to kind of ring fence that time for that purpose, make sure that you're charging enough for your other work that is paid to compensate for it. I think that's some really, really useful advice there. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you quite a big question now. Because I think that this affects a lot of people. How how do you deal with slash avoid getting overwhelmed with your business finances? Mm. It is a really big issue. So I've always been a bit of a nerd and I've actually quite liked looking at my finances. So I've never had this issue. But I find I get overwhelmed by other things. So I totally understand this feeling of like, oh my God, I don't even want to look at it. It's like a kind of point of shame, right? Because you're just like, it's just too overwhelming. I can't do anything about it, but it's not where I wanted to be and need to do something. But uh, what, what do I even do? So my kind of mantra is always familiarity breeds confidence. So it's a kind of little and often approach. If you are feeling super overwhelmed and you don't even know where to start, I would say just start by looking at your online banking every morning before you start work. So something like that, something really small that's going to take you five minutes, but will just get you starting to look at the numbers. I'm not saying you have to do anything with it, but just so that you are familiar with, you know, what your finances look like at this point. And then you can kind of build up to maybe doing a weekly check-in with your finances. So this is something I do and I've done for years where every week I spend about 15 minutes looking at my online banking, recording everything that's come in and gone out into my income and expenditure spreadsheet mm -hmm. so that I've got a record of like what the balance is, how much I've been spending, whether all the payments I was expecting to come in over the last week have come in from clients or whether I maybe need to chase anything up. So it literally, once you get in the habit of doing this, it takes literally 15 minutes to do once a week. And that can really help you to then just start to feel a little bit more in control of the situation. And then I also do a bigger kind of monthly review. So at the beginning of each month, I will spend a couple of hours looking back at the previous month, at all of the work that I've done, whether there's anything I haven't yet invoiced for that I need to send those invoices off for. Again, any payments that are maybe late that I need to chase up whether my income has been lower than I would have expected or would have liked for the month. And if so, is there anything I can do about that so that it doesn't become a pattern? You know, have I been spending actually quite a lot of things that I hadn't budgeted for? And do I need to make some cutbacks over the next few months? Once a month doing a bigger check-in like that, just to see kind of the overall financial health of your business. But build up to that. You know, it doesn't have to start with that. Um, start with just kind of the smallest step that you can take to, to get you just looking at the numbers and feeling a bit more familiar with the situation because that will help build up that confidence yeah I guess like the the bit that gets overwhelming is when you're like at least at least like for me it's when I've like there's just loads and loads and loads of things that have built up and then mm. I'm like I go to try and deal with it and it's just too many things that I can't do anything at all so I think like that kind of approach like not just with 
business finances but probably a lot of a lot of different things in mm-hmm. life if you just do like a tiny bit at a time and yeah and you'll get on a roll with it like mm-hmm. if you if you fix one little issue it will give you a confidence boost to go oh hang on I, I can actually like take control of these things and what's the next thing I could maybe look at sorting out so the more you look at these things the more confident you feel about your ability to deal with it um so just start with the smallest possible thing that you can tick off and then just see where you go from there but I would say one thing I know a lot of translators find quite overwhelming and really hate is invoicing particularly when it gets to the end of the month and you have to issue all your invoices for all of the projects you've done for the month. And mm-hmm. I know that when you work a lot with agencies, that's kind of the requirement where they say, you know, you have to invoice us by this date um, for all the projects you've done. What I've always done is I do my invoices as I go along. So if let's say, I mean, I don't particularly work with agencies anymore, but I did used to. So let's say um, I've got some clients who are agencies who require me to invoice at the end of the month. Then I would, as I finish a project, let's say the first project of the month for them, I would create an invoice and add that first project to it. And then every project that I do, as I finish the project, I add it to the invoice for them. And then all I need to do at the end of the month, because I know that all of the projects are already there on the invoice that I've got drafted, I then just finalize the invoice and send it to them. And it's a lot less kind of of a burden for me at the end of the month because it's all been prepared as I go when the information was much fresher in my mind you know at the end of the month I'm not having to try and think back to the beginning of the month and oh what was that little project I did for them and that kind of thing so keeping on top of it as I go and then with direct clients I always invoice them at the point where I send the project off so if I am delivering a translation of an academic paper for example I will send them the paper with the invoice attached so that when they confirm that they've received the translation, I know that they've also received the invoice and I, I no longer have to worry about it. So um, I'm definitely a do it as you go kind of person, just because the information is so much fresher in your mind when you've literally just finished the project. It's the same as what I said about, you know, putting your time tracking data into your client project records at the time when you finish the project, because it's so much easier to line up that data at that point than having to later kind of look back and think oh what did that relate to and what did that relate to um so yeah I would say doing it as you go can really help even if you're not able to actually send those invoices off at the point where you're sending the project you know just start putting them Mm -hmm. together at that point and then I guess it it saves you quite a bit of time at the end Mm -hmm. of the at the end of the month or whatever and exactly a lot less overwhelming because you're like oh all I have to do is send this now I don't have to try and figure out what work I even did exactly yeah. I'm definitely learning a lot from you today <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I've kind of asked most of the things that I wanted to ask you about pricing do you have any sort of final pieces of advice you'd like to share for anyone that's listening I think we've covered a lot um <laughs> there was only really one thing which I think we've already talked about a bit but I just want to reiterate is that it can sometimes feel like us freelancers don't have any say in how much we're paid. You know, we've said this, that quite often there are clients who tell us what they want to pay us or there are agencies who are very strict in the rates that they pay and they will not negotiate. But you have the final say about your business. And if it's not working in a way that you want it to or or that is financially viable for you, then make a change look elsewhere for other other clients there are clients out there with every budget level and I said before you know just because you might not feel that you would be willing to pay 50 pounds an hour for translation 
doesn't mean that there aren't clients out there who will. That is what I charge for translation and I have clients. So mm-hmm. it's just a question of if if your business is not working for you in a way that you want it to, then it's on you to make a change. It's your business and no one else is going to care enough about it to make that change for you. So mm-hmm. if you want to make a change, you have to go and look for those clients who can pay it. You have to put in the work to figure out what you need to be charging in order to earn what you need to earn. And if you don't and you feel like your, your business is not financially viable and you're not willing to do that work to find those clients or to reassess your rates or whatever it might be, then you may as well just go and get a job because that's going to give you that financial stability you want without having to put that work in. So it's it's taking kind of a really honest look at yourself and about the decisions you're making in regularly accepting lower than you would be needing to charge or whatever it might be and and just being really honest with yourself and saying okay I've made some decisions that have not been in the best interest of my business but from now on I am going to be a lot stronger in how I you know approach these negotiations with clients and things like that because it's on you it's not on anyone else to make those changes so just be really clear on that and take that kind of empowered view into any negotiations you go into because yeah you do set the price of your services no one else does I love that I love that because I mean it's it's like another one of those things about like about freelancing where like we are so many different things within our business like we're running a whole business within ourselves we're not just the translator or the subtitler or the interpreter we're the marketing team we're like the (laughs) finance team and like most you know any big companies will have a whole team of people that will be looking at the company's finances and making those financial decisions we I guess we just have to see ourselves as a company and like dedicate a bit of time and be like okay this time I'm at this at this point in the day I'm going to be the finance team at this point I'm going to be the marketing team exactly (laughs) exactly I did work with one client one-to-one who she was a copywriter not a translator but she was having a similar issue in terms of not believing that she could charge what she wanted to charge for her services and she found it really useful to like imagine all these different personas within her business. And so whenever she was having to talk about finances or rates with anyone, she imagined that she was finance guy, Steve. And then it was just like a persona that she put on and it just gave her a lot more confidence to go into that because she was like, well, this is the person who's responsible for finance within my business who is making these decisions. It's not me Mm -hmm. who is the one doing the work or this person who like really wants to build up the client relationships and stuff like that you know like it's separating those different personas out in your mind and and putting yourself in someone else's shoes when you're having to negotiate if anyone wants to imagine it's me doing it for them then go ahead (laughs) I'm I'm definitely going to start doing that from now (laughs) at this at this point of the day I'm Susie Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) go for it Thank you. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and your pieces of advice. This has been really amazing. And I'm sure that most people listening to this will already know who you are and they've seen you on LinkedIn and Instagram and all over. But just in case, where is the best place for people to find you online, find out more about you, what you do, and also your you know mentoring programs and everything you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Instagram is definitely my number one social media place to hang out. So I am the dot organized freelancer and it's organized with a Z, which is really annoying because I'm British, but it was what was available at the time. Um, so yeah, the dot organized freelancer. I publish 
multiple times a week on there and I go on stories and I just love to connect with people on there. I am also on um, LinkedIn and I'm trying to publish more on there, but it's kind of an area I'm growing rather than somewhere that I'm really established. Um, my website is www.susiejackson.co.uk and I have a blog that I update pretty much weekly with new, you know, answering questions I've received about uh, pricing and finances and that kind of thing. And I do have free resources that you can download. I have a couple of spreadsheets, a income and expenditure spreadsheet that I mentioned earlier and a budgeting spreadsheet for business expenses. And I also have a checklist, which is a um, weekly and monthly task checklist for your finances. So all the things I do on a weekly and monthly basis in my business. I also run a monthly free virtual office hour that people are very welcome to come along to if they have questions. Um, there's a place to sign up for that on my website as well. Um, so yeah, basically lots of free content on there. If you are interested in working with me, there's all information about different things. My main um, program is called Charge with Confidence and that's all about pricing your services. I offer that for a small group a couple of times a year. Next time's probably going to be spring 2022. Um, but I also <laughs> offer it one-to-one all year round and yeah, I also have various other one-to-one type things that you can sign up for. So have a look on my website and reach out to me. I'm always very happy to connect to anybody who wants to chat. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to be on this podcast today. It's been really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this episode on pricing as valuable as I have. Thanks again to Susie for joining me today. Make sure to check out her contact details in the show notes if you wish to get in touch. And if you've got any questions or comments about the Meet the Translator podcast, send an email to meetthetranslator at gmail.com.